Hey everyone, what's up? We are so excited to have y'all here today with us as we interview our beloved community healer and warrior, Chanel Durley. Chanel is the founder of 33rd and Rising, which is a wellness space that provides healing for Black, Indigenous, and POC communities and their allies in the Bay Area and beyond. In this episode, we talk about Chanel's experiences with Crohn's disease, in which she experienced racism and deep injustice and inequity in multiple encounters and 11 hospitalizations in the medical system. We also converse more about the toxicity of grime mentality and its roots in ancestral trauma, and how her experiences as an intuitive healer came into her founding of 33rd and Rising. So we're so excited that y'all are here with us today. Stay woke, y'all, and thanks for tuning in. Hey, y'all, we are so excited to be with y'all again, Um, this time with a beloved friend, a beloved just mentor healer, overall badass person, Chanel Durley, um, founder of 33rd and Rising, and here to talk on our anti-racism series on Woke Woke Docs about anti-racism in the wellness industry and how to really imagine and envision a trauma-informed, badass um, future for our people, especially Black, Indigenous people of color out here. So we are just so grateful to have your presence here with us on Zoom University. Once again, here we are. (laughs) I love that, Zoom University. Right. Um, And yeah, so we're going to start off with a checking question. And the check-in question selected by Chanel is, what is an album and song that you've been blasting recently? And I'll start. Um, and don't make fun of me. <laughs> but for me, it's been hella Marvin Gaye. So I've been just like lots of Marvin Gaye. EVA, I see you laughing and chuckling. I think it's just a, it's a testament to my old soul. But also, I've, you know, just been feeling the type of way that Marvin Gaye, you know, stimulates. So <laughs> that's Listen, how it is. Mar- Marvin Gaye for you is very on brand like that. That's why I was laughing or chuckling. I was like, yep, that adds up. That is like it up. really? You're listening. <laughs> yes. Yes, sis. <laughs> you would definitely be bumping Marvin Gaye like in a, on a random hot ass summer day, like for no reason. Like it, that feels very appropriate to me. Honestly, I just feel like there's nothing more than like senior house plants with the sunset. And Marvin Gaye blasting. Like, honestly, it's a good vibe. Like, no one talks to me. I just want to be with my plants. You know what I'm saying? And Marvin Gaye. So, I feel it. Um, that's me. I'm going to pass it to Nicole. Um, so, before, when we were getting to know each other on the podcast, I already said mine, but the last song I listened to was The Debbie Prayer. Um, I just like something that I love listening to when it's been like, a hard day and just like want to get back into myself and get grounded that's kind of my go-to song um yeah it, it's really great <laughs> um i will pass it to chanel um so funny you said marvin gay because i you know for the for the five-week course the inward uh, healing from racial trauma breathwork course um the last session that we had on saturday uh, the playlist had a bunch of different oldies on there and Marvin Gaye, what's going on was in there. So mm-hmm. I was definitely like really feeling that, especially like Friday and Saturday of last week. Um, but like my, while I'm working and just vibing out, I've been 
listening to a lot of Sir, um, Chasing Summer, that album, and um, some Daniel Caesar's Essentials on um, on Apple Music. So just flipping through all of his stuff and like, you know, you could just zen out and zone out when you're just working and having that. So that's my, those have been my go-tos lately. Mm. And I can go next. So what I've been bumping a lot on repeat is Leanne LaHavis's new album. Oh my gosh. Like that woman, she speaks to my soul. Like there are a few black women Um, musicians who really who I really just connect with on a deeper level and Leanne LaHavis is one of them so that album has been on repeat the song read my mind I think I know like pretty much every word at this point like that's like my favorite shower song now um yes so Leanne thank you girl if you're listening out there (laughs) I appreciate you um yes so basically that whole album is like a no skip album but yeah, read my mind. If y'all haven't listened to Leanne LaHavis's new album, I highly recommend. That's definitely on brand for you, EVA. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> yes, ma'am. <laughs> Been bumping Leanne since like the get-go. I don't even know, like 2012 should- maybe, something early. But yes, she's my girl. So, and this album I think is her best one yet. Which reminds me, we should collab on that. I know we've been saying this, but oh, I yeah. feel like... I like recorded myself it. singing that song. So we should like, we should make this. Yes, we'll make it happen. <laughs> Zoom University, we'll make it work. <laughs> we'll make it work. Um, well, I'm so excited for this conversation. And I just want to tell all of our listeners, I first met Chanel. So I've actually had this podcast episode planned before I met you, Chanel. I swear okay, it was manifestation. like, that's what I'm saying, because I had heard about 33rd and Rising when I was really looking up um, about holistic healing in the Bay Area. And I think you had popped up um, with 33rd and Rising in Oakland, um, I think a year after we had started this. And I was just looking through your stuff and I was like, wow, I have to meet Chanel one day. And then um, I'd say six months after I wrote that in my journal, you have put out this um, call for people on your Instagram with 33rd and Rising um, called Quest. And Quest has been a program to cultivate healers of all different kinds, specifically to train them to be um, really in tune with their intuition and also to just elevate on a different spiritual level um, in terms of learning Reiki, which we talked about in a previous episode with Freedom Community Clinic. It's a traditional healing method of which we are able to move and cleanse energy with ourselves and with our loved ones and people we help. And also get in tune with um, our ancestors and our spirit guides that have been um, talking to us and guiding us. And I think for a lot of our listeners who are in medicine and who we also have a lot of people who um, aren't in medicine, a lot of these things can seem, you know, foreign and they can seem kind of woo-woo but I think for a lot of people especially for black indigenous immigrant communities people of color communities these have been very central to who we are to our communities and to our histories and so um, I'm just grateful that we get to really talk about this openly and get to really demystify um, a lot of these things and how they interact with our roles as healers and as doctors um, in this world. 
Yeah. And so I wanted to start off with um, something that you had described um, during our program, Chanel, but I don't think I've actually really heard it from you, but it really, I think is important for us, especially as doctors to hear. Um, can you tell us more about how your experience with Crohn's has actually been a huge part into your healing journey and how that's helped you kind of evolve and uh, see yourself as a healer? Yeah, that was like the kick in the butt to be like, quit playing, right? About my my own health, but not just like my physical health, but the whole self. Um, so it was almost 10 years ago now, 10, it will be 10 years in April of next year that I was diagnosed with Crohn's disease. But um, like many classic cases, I was misdiagnosed a mo- like many times before I was finally diagnosed with Crohn's. And it had to take for me to almost, you know, be on my deathbed in order for them to be like, oh yeah, actually you are sick, right? Um, which is very common for women of color, right? Um, so I was having, I'm sure things were dormant, but the thing that really kicked off me, um, getting sick was I was in a car accident and I was a passenger in, you know, in this car, uh, my friend's car, we just got off of work. We were actually working in the city. So I was working at CPMC at that time and we were T-bone and the person or we were just getting into our lane. I had already like, you know, everybody's seatbelt was on. We were gonna head to, I think my friend was gonna take me to BART. And um, when we got hit, of course, you know, the impact, like I remember looking to the left. I, I happened to be looking to the left and talking to my friend. And at that time when we hit, I, um, the seatbelt hurt my neck and shoulder. And I didn't feel that the effects of that impact until maybe an hour, an hour and a half after. And um, my whole numb, like my whole arm went numb. So we went to the ER since we were still, you know, in the vicinity of the hospital. And they gave me a bunch of pain meds. And they were like, okay, you need to take these, I think there were 600 milligram ibuprofens around the clock and go home, rest. Um, and then over time, you know, we'll see how this, this injury heals. Um, so then I went home and I remember taking those NSAIDs and feeling like, oof, like my stomach was jacked. It was really messed up. But then they kept on saying, you got to keep taking them. Like you have to keep taking them for the pain. You have to keep on taking them around the clock. So 600 milligrams, like every four to six hours, you know, like round the clock. And, and my pain was not really getting any better. And even though I was in physical therapy and all these different, you know, like seeing the doctor, I remember physical therapy even telling me, don't do anything else. Like you can only, you should only stick with physical therapy here. Don't go to, cause I was like, Hey, what do you think about chiropractic care? And they're like, don't do that. So I felt a month in that my health was actually deteriorating and I could feel that my, like my stomach was more upset. Um, and every time that I would bring that to the attention of my doctor and, um, just the attention to like the healthcare team, they would blow me off. And I remember my doctor telling me like, Hey, it's all in your head. (laughs) Like you're fine. You're, I think I was 27 at that time you're fine. There's nothing wrong with you. 
And I was like, no, there's, there really is something wrong with me. She was like, well, just, you know, eat, eat white bread instead of whole grain bread. Some, something like garbage like that. Right. And, um, and then of course, when somebody keeps telling you that you're, you're, it's all in your head or you're crazy, then you start to believe like, okay, well maybe it is in my head. Right. So the pain that I started to feel, even though, you know, I, I went away from, I ended up going away from physical therapy and going into chiropractic care. And that is honestly what really turned everything around for me. Um, headaches stopped, like the pain in my arm and shoulder and my neck just started to dissipate. And I had um, a team of people who were really listening to me, which was felt very foreign at that time. But as that was getting better, I noticed that my digestive symptoms were getting worse. And I had, um, there was one time that I, I started seeing like I had bloody stool, right? Like dark stool and bloody stool. My, my best friend who was living with at the time um, was a nurse. So <laughs> I remember she was working nights and I like knocked on her door and I was like, girl, I think I'm going to die. She was like, what, what is wrong with you? Uh, um, but you know, I, sh- I showed her, I was like, Hey, something's not right here. And she was like, okay, you, this is serious. Like you need to go to the doctor. And even then when I would talk to my doctor, she'd still say like, no, it's all in your head. You probably ate like dark leafy greens or, you know, things like that. Um, so she kept on putting it off now over time, over the next few months, like I said, my, my health kept on deteriorating. Right. Um, and I was also gaining weight, which was really interesting because it was kind of in a, in a rapid way. Um, for somebody who was like super active, I was, I was way fatigued. So I'd find myself going to like on my lunch break, falling asleep in my car for an hour, waking up, going back to work, working the last couple hours, going back home, like driving back to Oakland and then, um, going to bed early, like seven, eight o'clock because I was so exhausted and my days were like that. Then I started seeing like, um, petechiae on my legs right that was showing up and I was like what is this right like how am I getting this rash I wasn't putting all of these symptoms together like hey maybe there could be you know this is all related and there's something going on here um and even then like like the abdominal pain was so it was horrible right and and even even on my hardest moments I was still thinking to myself yeah well you know this is just my normal like this is just what it is so I just have to accept it it wasn't until um, one day it just it was unbearably bad, and I didn't I didn't want to inconvenience anyone to take me to the hospital, but I decided, you know, I'm gonna drive into the ER. So I drove across the Bay Bridge, doubled over in pain, like literally driving like this, doubled over in pain, hopped out of the um, hopped out of my car and into the ER. And I was doubled over in pain, but they said, because my demeanor was so sunny and they thought, you know, oh, she has a nice smile. She's fine. They were like, you can just wait. You can't possibly be in that much pain. Right. And so I waited, I should have told them like, maybe I needed to say like, oh, it feels like a 12 on the, on a scale from one to 10 or like doing the most, but, or maybe I shouldn't have to. Maybe if I tell you like, Hey, I'm in pain, then you should listen to me the first time. Right. And then when they finally got me back, into a room um i remember they gave me morphine it didn't do anything for me the doctor was kind of like wait that's kind of that's odd that morphine is not doing anything for your pain 
let's do a CT scan. So when they did the CT scan, um, the results came back and the doctor said my intestines were telescoping into each other and I had to have emergency surgery, um, intussusception. That's what they diagnosed it as in the first. And I was like, what? And now I was completely like floored, like really taken back. It was just, it felt like everything was happening way too fast. And he said, why didn't you come in if you were in pain? And I said, because I've been telling my doctor for months that I've been in pain or that these symptoms have been happening. And she told me it was all in my head. So of course he was angry and I'm, I'm grateful that he was as patient and attentive as he was for an ER doc. Um, and I know like a lot of ER docs are very rushed, right? But for some reason, this man was just, he was amazing, very, very attentive. Um, and they got me into the hospital. I was inpatient. I was waiting for surgery to happen the next morning, scared out of my mind. And um, 30 minutes before the surgery started, they decided, you know, we're going to cancel the surgery and we're just going to pump you full of steroids and see what happens. And I was like, I, <laughs> okay, what, whatever you think is right, we'll, we'll go ahead and do. Um, so of course, like the steroids felt good in the moment, right? I felt like, oh my God, like this is what I'm supposed to feel like. And then at the end of that weekend, um, the doctors came in and they said, so we know what's going on with you. And um, they're like, so you have Crohn's disease. And I was like, okay, great. So what do I do now? And they said, Google it. And I said, what? <laughs> Sorry, you can hear my dog screaming. But um, yeah, they were like, just Google. Because I was like, okay, if I have Crohn's disease, what's the next step? Am I like, is there a cure? They're like, no, <laughs> there's no cure. And I was like, okay, what about medications? How am I supposed to do anything? And they were like, you know, just just Google it. And then set up an appointment with your you're another doctor here. You can go with this GI doctor. And then the nurse felt so bad for me. She went to, mind you, this is a hospital that I worked at, okay? So she um, went on Wiki and printed out Crohn's disease and then gave me a sheet. She was like, here, I printed this out for you. This is a start. And I was like, all right, you know, so that was how my Crohn's disease journey began. I'm so um, sorry. Can I just say that is absolutely inadequate, pathetic, and honestly, just like I, I have no words. I'm really sorry that that happened to you. And I'm just like, yes, listeners can't see, but as she's been talking, I'm just like, what? How? I don't get it. Um, I just feel like the healthcare system really failed you. And yeah, that's just really a shame. But thank you for sharing yeah. uh, such a personal story. And such, yeah, that hardship, that sounds really, really painful to have gone through. Thank you. Thank you for saying that. Um, so having all that information, and I was working in research at that time too, my, my first instinct was, okay, well, let me research, right? And I remember going to my doctor and my doctor, um, like just pumping me full of medications, right? And basically being like, okay, let's see if this works. And if it doesn't work, we'll just put you on another drug and another drug and another drug. And we'll put you on infusions. And if that's not working, we're going to increase infusions. And so it was like, it was 
a, a massive roller coaster, right? Um, and I remember telling, like, going into that doctor's um, visit, my GI doctor, the first one, and I said, "Hey, so I want to be like completely off drugs, and I want to go, like, I want to be in remission. I want to to get healthy here." Um, I have plans. Like I want to be able to go to grad school. There are, there are things that I want to do and I just don't want to be sick <laughs> for the rest of my life. Um, and can you help me do that? And he said, no, you're, you should, he was like, you should move back home with your parents and allow them to take care of you because your, your disease activity is severe. And um, he was like, I don't think that, he's like, I really don't think that you're going to be able to, you know, go to school or do the thing that you want to do. Right. So I was taking, I was taking prerequisites for, um, because I wanted to apply to UCSF's um, NP program. And he was like, it's not going to happen. You know, like all these things that you want to be able to do, it's just not going to happen. So the best way to get me to do something, of course, is to tell me I can't do it. And I was like, all right, cool, 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 cool. So I fired everyone on my like healthcare team. And I decided to go into these doctor's visits like they were interviews, right? So I went down like who in my like like you know my healthcare whatever list um, was on my plan, and let me go ahead like it was a ten bucks copay anyways. Let me go in there and talk to these doctors and tell them, hey, this is these are my goals. This is what I want to do. This is this is what I want to. This is the life I want to live, and I want to be in remission. Are you with me? Can we make this happen or or not? And then there were doctors who were like, no, I don't think that's a good idea. Or like, no, you should just, you know, stay on drugs. That's safer, blah, blah, blah. Then there was one doctor who was like, yeah, we can make that happen. He was like, it's going to be hard at first. We're going to have to, you know, use some medications at first, but then we can, you know, wean you off and get you to where you need to go. Like, if you trust me, I trust you. And I was like, hey, I trust you. If you trust me, like, let's do this together. And then everybody else, like I call them my, my um, GI dream team, right? So everybody that I felt was really there for my highest good and for my holistic health, I, you know, added them to the team and I made sure that, you know, everybody knew what was going on and what I was doing and that, you know, there was cross collaboration basically, uh, which I wish the healthcare system was more like that. But, you know, at that time, it definitely wasn't. You know, I had to, I did have to facilitate a lot in order for, you know, for this to happen. Um, so it was, it was a journey, especially over the first, I'd say the first two, three years until I got kind of settled. Um, but 11 hospitalizations total. And yeah, 11 hospitalizations total. I forgot how many different medications. And then, of course, the infusions and all of that. Um, and all the while I was still trying to like maintain a regular life, like, like a, a 40 hour week plus job. And I was trying to do, even at work, I think because we're so used to, especially women of color, grinding, and trying to set yourself apart as you're like climbing the corporate ladder and not being the quote unquote stereotype. And I have so much to say about that and grind mentality. I was doing more so that people didn't realize that I was sick so that nobody could give me like, nobody could say, 
well, Chanel can't do that because she has Crohn's disease. Or maybe we can't let her do this because, you know, I just didn't want that to be part of the narrative or have somebody else tell me what my narrative was going to be. So I worked harder, which not necessarily the greatest thing to do, but that was, that was what I did, you know? And once I finally got out of, um, or got into a space where I could really um, understand my disease activity and what my triggers were and all of that, and even examining for myself what like health really meant. And it wasn't just Western health, right? Um, whole self health. <laughs> I, um, I was able to really do the things that I wanted. I never moved back into my parents' house until recently, but that's another story. And then um, being able to go to grad school and go through an entire executive MBA program without like falling off and getting sick or going to the hospital, right? And doing the work that I love to do in the world. So that's that's been my, yeah, that's my story. Hopefully I answered the question. I know that's a roundabout way of saying like, hey, this is, you know, this is what it's been. But I've been off of medications for a long time. It's been years. It's been years now. I think that because I work so hard at like knowing what my body needs or wants and like really trying to tune in, um, it has helped me significantly in staying off meds or staying out of the hospital in that way. Wow, that is powerful and amazing that you actually, you know, you came up with this plan for yourself and you said, I'm going to find people who are going to allow me to achieve the dreams that I have for myself. And I will interview you like you guys are here to serve me. Right. And to make sure that I'm getting my needs met and addressed. And you did it. You did the thing. I, that's awesome. Thank you. I was also going to say, like, I think your story is so powerful, too, because you have known from the very beginning about your body and other people have been questioning that. And honestly, as you were telling the story, I was just thinking of like, dang, like when I'm in the ER, this is what's happening. Or, for example, when I'm in the hospital helping patients. I'm just thinking about what is the conversations behind the scenes that patients don't get to hear that like we're we're part of that journey and it just makes me think more about like dang there are so many different steps where like you were invalidated and unheard and really the fact that you have to create your own healthcare system like with this gi dream with this gi dream team is incredible because i've been thinking also more about um you know like what would what would western medicine really look like if we ask patients how we can help people love themselves and acknowledge their bodies more and really I think like what you're talking about is something I've told you and I've rented to you then again and again in many sessions which is that you know western medicine I think oftentimes like does not teach us how teach us as doctors how to uplift health it teaches it teaches us how to treat disease Uh and there's a distinct framework difference in that and also it, it also you know, spills over into how we're taught as future doctors. Um, because I really do see being in the system now that we dedicate so much of our learning to understanding disease and what are the blood tests you need? What is, what is the imaging? There is like 
so much damn money that is poured into like precision in disease and identification of disease. But in terms of people who have, um, who have been diagnosed with chronic diseases, we got like steroids and invasive surgeries and NSAIDs. You know what I'm saying? And it's just like, this is a disservice to our people. Um, and it takes patient advocacy after 11 hospitalizations to do that. And like, honestly, that's just, um, it's unacceptable because I know that your story is not isolated. Um, and I know that so many people go through that in our system. So something to add to that. Um, so I totally agree with you about how, you know, the healthcare system is more, um, reactive instead of proactive. Right. And it's disappointing to me for sure. And I remember being, uh, I don't know, maybe people would call me green at the time and being like, hey, like, why is it this way, right? Why is it that we're focusing a lot of our energy and attention on these drugs that are not necessarily curing, they're just treating, there's just a Band-Aid, right? And I worked in, I remember, so I spent a lot of my corporate career in healthcare, right? I'm doing healthcare in a different, in a different way now, but before it was more, you know, like it was pharma based or research, um, a lot of clinical research, like manage many, many, many clinical trials and investigator sponsored trials and all of that. And I worked for um, a few uh, pharma companies out here too, a couple of pharma companies. And I thought that was a corporate ladder that I wanted to climb because I thought that was what I was supposed to do. Right. And there was a lot that I was seeing that didn't necessarily like jive with my soul. Right. Um, and, and it's cool if it jives with other people's soul, but it just didn't jive with where I was. Um, and I remember having conversations with one of my bosses about drugs, right. And how we're just, it's just band-aids, right. And how that bothers me. And she was like, yeah, this is by design though because there's no money in cures, there's money in illness. So that's what our, unfortunately, our system is, you know, they're going to pour money into keeping people sick because that's where the money is, you know? Um, And that really bothered me. (laughs) So as you can tell, so of course, you know, I had to do a a bit of a pivot personally. Um, But yeah, it definitely bothered me. Yeah, I think something else about what you shared, um, I think particularly in the beginning of your story when, you know, you kept going because you felt your body like something's not right. Like I need, you know, I need some things happening. I need some attention for this. um, That like those are ways in which we are socialized, right, as women of color to stop believing in our bodies and the signals Mm -hmm. that they're giving, right? And so like for instance, like those are ways in which as a doctor, as a like person on the healthcare team, that's how if you're not aware of what you're doing, you're contributing to that hurt and that trauma that gets like continuously worse and worse and worse in someone's yes. life. Um, and on that note, I also don't want to skip over what you think about the grind slash hustle culture that happens, because I think um, particularly for our audience, right? Um, 
people who want to go into medical school, people who want to go into healthcare fields. There is this grind mentality and this household mentality. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. So okay, <laughs> like this, this long conversation about this with um, someone else too. And um, so grind mentality is, it comes from a colonized mindset. And what I mean by that is it can be, it can be very oppressive. Okay. Well, let me, let me give you a bit of a story so that I can tie all this together. When I was in high school, um, I remember I just got to Vallejo senior high and, um, we had to do like parent teacher conferences or parent teacher con or parent counselor conferences. Right. Everybody in the school had to do that. Right. So I was like a sophomore. My mom was with me. My mom is Filipino. Right. And she has an accent and all of that. Um, it's been here forever. Um, I remember going into the counselor's office and then the counselor was incredibly racist towards us. Right. And he asked me, like, he acted like it was a waste of his time for us all like to be there. Probably didn't want to be there on a Saturday though. That was the curriculum. Right. He asked me, what do you want to do when you, you know, when you grow up, what do you want to do when you get out of high school? And I said, I want to go to college. I want to be a doctor. I want to be OBGYN. And he was like, that's not going to happen. And I was like, what? And I was like, I want to go to med school. And he was like, it's not going to happen. It's just, yeah, it's not going to happen. And I was like, why is that? And I was like, genuinely like interested in like, why, why would you say that? And he said, you're going to be just like every other black female here. You're going to get pregnant at 16 years old and you're not going to go anywhere with your life. So you should just accept that now. You should just accept that is what, your narrative is now and leave it alone, but it's just a waste of time and money, you know, to, to want to go to med school. You're never going to get there. And then I was like, what? And he was like, my, I told him my grades are good. He was like, they're not good enough. Right. And they were, I think they were at 3.4 ish, something like that. Right. And, um, overall GPA, which at that time I was like, I'm in 10th grade. It can get better. Right. But at the same time, I was, I was like, okay, come through bees. Right. <laughs> you know? So I was happy with that, but, um, he was like, there's no way this is going to happen. You just, you're just going to be like all the other black people, blah, blah, blah. And then he was rude to my mom. Like, you know, how some, sometimes people like yell at people who have, um, accents. Cause they think that you're deaf. <laughs> you know slower. I mean? yeah. Exactly. So he was like that. So we left and that I was very shocked at that. And, and I felt like, I don't know. That was, uh, I didn't realize how traumatic that was. And I'm, I think I'm still unpacking how traumatic that was as I recognized the grind mentality and how that was instilled in me. Now, growing up, my dad taught us because we were, me and my sisters are black women, right? He told us as we were going to school every day or, you know, every year um, that this world wasn't really for us. We had to work twice as hard to receive half as much. So when you go into school, you have to you just have to work hard, right? Because black people are seen as a stereotype. So you had to fight against that stereotype. So there was that grind mentality that was already, you know, instilled within us because that was a narrative that he received from his mom, right? And then my grandma received from her mother. And like, it's, it's very ancestral, 
in that way, right? And it, it's passed down from generation to generation. Now, when my dad taught me this, it wasn't to hurt me and my sisters. It was coming from a genuine place of love and saying, hey, you have to go, you have to do more than your white, you know, white peers, because this is the world that we live in, right? So then when my my white um counselors tell me, hey, you're not going to go anywhere in life and that you're just going to get pregnant and this and that, it made me feel like, okay, well, I need to work harder then. And I worked really hard that year. And we met towards the end of that year, that school year. And at that time, I had the opportunity to go to a different high school. It was a tech high school and it happened to be in Napa. But so I knew that I would have to travel to this high school, but it had a really great curriculum. And I remember showing him my grades. He looked through everything and it was, you know, I worked really hard and did even extracurriculars and all of that. And it still wasn't enough for him. He, and I remember saying, Hey, I have this opportunity to go to this other school. What do you think about that? And he told me, I really don't give a damn what you do with your life. And then that for me was the catalyst for me to move into like go into another school. And because I didn't drive at that time, I had to hustle for rides. My mom works in Napa, so I was like, okay, <laughs> like if I go to work with you, then I can get to the school or like I can, you know, there were so many different ways I had to grind in order to get a, a better education, right? And then when I was at the school, I felt the need because of what happened to me and because of like the stereotype. And then of course, being in a predominantly white school now, I felt the need that I needed to work even harder, right? To set myself apart or to like, to get these little crumbs of recognition or like whatever to get me to where I needed to go. And carrying that same mentality everywhere I went until it burned me the fuck out, right? Oh, sorry, I'm not supposed to. No, say it. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, carrying that same mentality, right? And grinding hard in every job and like within relationships, within our jobs within like you know school system all of that right and how that ships away at our health you know as women of color and then when we complain like hey something's not right or I'm having migraines or I'm having this stress or you know different things like that it's not you know it's just shoot away right um and I remember going out to a few happy hours um when I worked at this one pharma company and there were other women of color who were, um, we'd all go out together. And it was like the time where everybody could let their hair down and be like, you know, what the fuck kind of day was this, right? And in and, and so many words. And then we talked about like the racism and the microaggressions that we experienced and how much more work we had to do in order to set ourselves apart, unfortunately, because of the stereotypes that, you know, we had to adhere to. We had to um, assimilate to a culture that is not necessarily, you know, our culture or a, a culture that's telling us that we're only validated by this colonial structure. You know what I'm saying? So it's now I'm in this, in this space of really unpacking that and knowing and really gifting myself rest because I deserve that, right? Because I'm worthy of that. And that's how I'm going to be able to take care of my whole self. So of course there are other things that like, I mean, you all are in medical school, 
So there is going to be a grind that you, you have to, you know, you have to do, but um, maintaining that grind all the time, or even that the, I guess the mentality of always staying busy, even when you're, you're supposed to be off, you know what I mean? Like just a regular weekend that you're just chilling with your family and keeping that same grind mentality, like, like checking that and unpacking that and allowing yourself to rest. So I'm, I'm like diving into all of that and seeing how it is very ancestral, right? Because the, the environment that my family members grew up in is not necessarily, like, it's not what we, we grew up in. Like I, because of what they did, I have a choice to say, Hey, that's not my narrative anymore. That's not my story. And I choose rest. Also, you don't validate me. I validate me. So this is me taking back my power. Yeah, that's so powerful. That makes me think more about how, um, I just feel like throughout my life too, that whole hustle mentality and you have like, especially even in med school, it continues where I think people even the ego of having to say like, yo, I had, oh, I only had like three hours of sleep versus like four or like, did you have this big surgery case? I was on my feet for 12 hours. Well, I was on my feet for 14. And so there's like this competition in terms of like, are you productive enough? Are you doing better? You signed up for this in medicine. Like, this is just what it is. And it's like, no, like, like you said, like I choose, I validate myself and I actually get to choose how I want to practice in the future. Like I get to set my own rules and makes me think more about just the different things in society and medicine in general that like suppresses that and how that continued suppression um, shows up in our body, shows up in our spirit and oftentimes results in burnout or significant disease. Um, And if we don't listen to it, then that's when our body starts screaming, our spirit starts screaming because um, it's always been telling us all along throughout this journey so yeah yeah I was just really relating to what you were saying a lot um just as the daughter of immigrants and the only black student in my class from third through eighth grade I really felt a lot of pressure to well just pressure to succeed just by virtue of having the immigrant parents but then also like I don't want people to think less of me Um, as a black student. So I feel like I need to overachieve. And I feel like that definitely carried from elementary school into high school, into college, to the point where I really just was not familiar or comfortable with resting and giving myself time to just be. And it like really, really made me uncomfortable or like, it just made me feel like this is not right. Like I should be doing something. Even to this day, I still have issues with feeling like I should be doing multiple things at once. Like, I feel like a constant need to multitask. It's very hard for me to just sit and do one thing at a time. It's like, oh, I'm going to try to do, like, what can I do at the same time? Like, let me cook, but also listen to this podcast or also do this because then I'm like, I can never just do the one thing and like give it my full attention because I feel like I need to get more done, need to always be productive. And that's how people run themselves down. Um, And so, yeah, just listening to you share that, I definitely, that was relating with me heavy um I feel like I'm getting better at giving myself time to rest and making those pockets of rest in my day but it's something I really had to 
teach myself to do because no one taught me to like they teach you to grind but no one teaches you how to rest and so i feel like we all have to really learn how to rest on our own and what rest looks like for us on our own so i really hope that we get into a space as a culture of normalizing rest because it's so important right and it's not just like a okay let me get a couple you know close my eyes for a few minutes or whatever it's like no like how are you unwinding and how are you allowing yourself to like unplug from the matrix and unplug from like put your phone down for a little bit and like just pet your dog and water your plants and you know all those things that really at the end of the day like give you life or having really great conversations with family and friends you know what I mean so hopefully I feel like there is an uprising of especially with this civil uprising right um of people even within the wellness industry who are like black women are saying hey we need to normalize rest we need it that's how we take back our power that is the revolution rest is the revolution right and I know Freedom Community Clinic was saying the same thing right and I I really hope and pray that this does become more normalized and that people know that hey you you can rest it doesn't mean that you know you taking a nap for a couple hours does not mean that we've you know we are now defunct as human beings or like whatever else or like the revolution is over it's it's us really taking back our power by allowing our bodies to rest yeah exactly what you said and and really framing like rest as part of the revolution as resistance as essential to the preservation of our people like our ancestors did not do all that they did to have us labor to death, you know what I'm saying? And so to have us honor um, ourselves and the people that come before us, it's really about finding those pockets of rest and knowing that we have the privilege of being able to do that too. And I know that with, um, it's just so beautiful that all of the stories and life experiences that you were talking about have really brought you to this beautiful point of creating not only imagining, but really creating this new vision of healing for yourself and for the people around you. So for Black, Indigenous, people of color in Oakland, in the Bay Area, and now with it being virtual all over, I know that you have remarked on stories on just how powerful it's been. And so um, if you could tell us and my listeners more about um, what have been the healing practices that have been so central to you and how has that really evolved with 33rd and rising and and all the success that you've been able to bring into this new space in the wellness industry Ooh, good question okay um so as far as central practices i love going to i would say acupuncture but um even my acupuncturist does more than that medical qigong and really doing um energy heavy you know work and He's a mentor of mine. Also, you know, it's really beautiful. Like, actually, every acupuncturist I've been to, with the exception of one, has been Black, right? And that was just, it just happened to be that way, right? And, um, but I'm telling you, this is a melanated connection, though, in healthcare and wellness. It's like all the psychic energies and the ancestral wisdom gets, m- like, m- magnified on some whole other level, 
that I've never like experienced before, like in a hospital room, right? <laughs> but um, definitely doing more uh, medical qigong, acupuncture, um, reiki. Reiki was definitely the like the door for me. Like you know, I'm gonna dip my toe into really practicing, you know, for myself. Um, and then of course, really connecting with my Akashic records. And I remember going to restorative yoga and that was my way of like, that was me unplugging from my crazy ass matrix. Right. And, um, I had a, a job that was very, you know, kind of life or death. Right. And well, not kind of, it was. And it was, you know, if I didn't work fast enough, then there was a possibility that these children were not going to be able to live. And it was very, you know, it was a sucky situation, but we did the best that we could. And every time I would get off of work on Tuesdays or Thursday evenings, I would go to restorative yoga. And I knew that if I didn't go to restorative yoga, then I couldn't rest. And I also wouldn't be a good coworker or a good human to other people. Like the next day I could find, feel myself getting crabby. Um, so because I saw a change in myself and the way that I could stay very calm in some pretty hectic situations, um, it, it got me to thinking about like, okay, well, I want to see how else, you know, how else can yoga feel or like, how, well, how does this work <laughs> kind of? And then as I like try, started to explore my own yoga practice, I decided, you know, let me go to yoga teacher training. Never thought I was going to teach yoga ever right? I was like, I just want to kind of do an intensive deep dive. And then of course I start teaching after, right? <laughs> so um, those have been like my staples along with meditation and um, yeah, meditation and walking. Like, <laughs> it was just random moments of like reading and resting and meditation, acupuncture, yoga, all that stuff. So, and, and just connecting with my own, like my own intuition and journaling, those have been like my go-tos. Yeah. That's super beautiful. And, and now you're providing this to other people and you're get or you're allowing, you're, you've created a platform of which other people get to experience this for themselves, oftentimes for the first time. And how has that been? founding 37 Rising and expanding your own discoveries and allowing other people to expand theirs. Oh yeah. So that, that whole journey has been wild, right? <laughs> so, um, so I started, like, it was really formed in 2016 where if you can think back to the summer of 2016 and how wild it was and how painful it was um, to exist because racism was, I felt it was so much more rampant in the media and what was happening in the world, right? Um, not that it wasn't painful in other ways in my life, but it just felt like, oh my God, like we really have not changed as a people if we're still, like, if it's this bad, right? And, um, you know, Trump was on his way to being elected. We we're, you know, in an election year and there was so much like blatant racism. Even people like on Facebook, you'd be like, wait, hold on. I didn't know you were racist. Is this how, you know, 
Oh, I'm so sorry to that. Okay. Well, anyways, <laughs> I saw the message. Um, I remember thinking to myself, like, God, things things need to change, right? And I was already in a space of transition. I wasn't like I turned 33, and like right before I turned 33, I finally admitted to myself that I was a psychic intuitive. Right. Even though I had known this since I was three years old. Right. I spent a lot of my time suppressing it. I just did not want to stomach that responsibility or what I thought that responsibility was going, what it meant. Um, and. And I can tie that back to Crohn's and all of that. It's just a way like, you know, you you keep suppressing, suppressing, suppressing a lot of times where we're suppressing it. It's manifesting in our in our stomach. Um, and when I finally admitted it to myself, I was, I was talking to a friend, a colleague and friend, family member that um, was like, you know, you a psychic. <laughs> and the way that she said it was like, you know, right. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I am. I am. But I was like, I don't know what it means to admit that. She was like, just admit it. Like the whole, the stigma, the stereotype around being intuitive, you gotta let that go. Right. Because it's not, it's not a stereotype that, is from our people. That's not our ancestral wisdom, right? There's more of like, that's something that has come with, we can go back to witchcraft and like, or like the witch Salem witch trials or like all the ways that, you know, indigenous cultures have been um, made to be like demons or whatever because of their healing practices, right? And carrying that that trauma. And for those of us who are very connected to our roots and connected to our intuition in that way, there there can be this shame about it. And and I know I've I've definitely went through that for a good chunk of my life until I was coming up to being 33 and finally accepting like, okay, fine, I surrender. This is what it is. What am I supposed to do? And as I started to dive deeper into it and feeling like within my soul at this, uh, like the path that I'm on is not necessarily matching up to like what my soul's calling is. So me working in pharma and I still have friends who work in pharma. So I don't want to hate on, you know, what they do. I feel like there is a space for medicine just as there's a space for like, we all should take responsi- like responsibility for our health as well. Like it should go hand in hand. Um, but at that time in the level of patient advocacy I was doing and all of that, I was like, I don't want to be reactive. I want to be proactive in my health and like, and sharing with people what has helped me on my healing journey. Um, and it wasn't until that fall when I was at, I don't know if you've, you've heard of the Rise Festival. It's the Lantern Festival. Um, I went to the one in the Mojave Desert, right? And it was pretty profound for me. It was a very, very profound evening and just weekend with um, with friends. And like, I, I don't even think I could fully put into words how profound that moment was for me. But I remember writing on the lantern, kind of like a prayer, right? And saying, you know, okay, I I surrender, like I'm ready to do this work, however it's going to show up and however it's going to be. I trust that my ancestors are leading me to this space. I trust God. I trust that I'm going to be provided for no matter what and however that's going to look. But I know that I'm supposed to be helping people in a more holistic way. Um, 
and then releasing that lantern. And then I remember talking until like the early morning hours in the Mojave desert and chilling with all these other people who were like putting up their lanterns and setting their intentions. It was the energy of that space was so powerful. Right. Um, so that was a rise festival. And I felt like that was like that intersection of my life or this transition point of like, okay, what am I going to do? Am I going to go down this path and really explore it? Or am I going to stay complacent? So, and it was 33. So 33rd and rising. That's how that came to be. Um, and so over after owning that, I started going into um, like looking into health coaching and um, I ended up getting certified as a health coach. And, but I knew I didn't want to just be focused on food. I wanted to be focused on whole health. Right. And do more, um, like add in more spirituality. Right. And I didn't see anybody doing anything that I could envision. Everything that I saw was on the East coast that was close to like, you know, what I wanted. So I started reaching out to people who were doing things that I was interested in. And I had a mentor on the East Coast that had a wellness center and was one of the wellness, like first wellness centers in New York. And um, we struck up a a relationship and um, I was able to learn from her as well, right? As, and I was exploring my own like intuition, diving deeper into Reiki and all of these things and seeing how I wanted to add that to my personal practice. So I thought, you know, up until this point, I thought that I was just going to do personal practice, private practice. I didn't think it was going to be a center. And then even when I thought that, oh, maybe I could do a center, I thought, oh, that's like five, 10 years down the road. I didn't think that it was going to happen as fast as it did, but it happened. And, and that was a wild journey as well. And I feel like I'm still on this really amazing journey of growth with it. It has its own energy. And I like, I honor that as you know, it needs what it needs or like it, it morphs the way that it needs to morph. And it's, it's not mine. It's more the communities, right? The community will always tell you what it needs. So um, being responsive to that. Um, and it started off like real, real small. Like we would have women's circles and um, women's circles and yoga. And I, my thing was like, I want to normalize all of this medicine. I just want to make it accessible to um, BIPOC people, right? And people will tell me, you are so racist. You're not thinking of white people and, you know, that this is never going to fly. And I got so much flack because I was like, I wish that we had a wellness center on the West Coast and that we were catering to, you know, and I, I wasn't saying that only, you know, Black people can be here or only POC. I was saying, I want, I want this to be a space where we can all unpack trauma and heal together. POC and our allies, right? And, um, but of course people, you know, twisted that and made it seem like I was being, or they, they would blatantly call me outright racist and like, this is never going to work. Huh? Um, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Racist against white people? Yeah. Is Okay. Well, we already know how all of us feel about that. So I'm not even going to dive into that, but mm-hmm. I'm happy that you persisted, girl. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. (laughs) Yeah. So I just, you know, little by little, you know, and then the people who were supposed to come came, like they would find me in like random ways, like whether it was 
on the internet, they were Googling like black Reiki practitioners or, you know, I remember I did class pass for a little bit there for yoga. And I was in the space of, um, because I was a cannabis educator for Kikoko, I was like, we need to normalize cannabis use, right? And um, because it is a medicinal plant, like if you want to get high and like, you know, go ham, by all means do your thing too. But for those of us who, or for people who want to learn more about the medicinal components of it, like let's, let's normalize this. Right. And there weren't a lot of um, black yoga practitioners, especially cannabis yoga practitioners out here in the Bay area. So I was like, all right, let's, you know, I'm going to create yin yoga with myofascial release, a cannabis yin yoga with myofascial release and people will come to the class and it ended up becoming like, you know, where people were waitlisted. And I was like, Oh my God, <laughs> really happening. Right. So that was like, that was how it really started getting more popular. And then people will come to the class and have really emotional releases because they were doing yin and they were unpacking trauma. And then they'd be like, can I come to you for a Reiki session? You know, or they'd want to explore things a little deeper. Um, And because I was so small, like, you know, I had friends all over who were practitioners and I'd be like, if they're not here, I can, I can shoot you their information because it's not for me to like hoard information, right? It's not for any of us to be able to be out here hoarding information. So like this person can help you with this. Like you should go to her, um, tell her Chanel sent you. Or, you know, like that, that's how, you know, the network grew in that way. Um, so now we're in a space where everything's virtual and that was probably the best move for me. Um, I was coming up to the end of my lease anyway. So I was like, I could either stay here little bit longer or I could do something crazy and go virtual completely virtual and try to build community there and that's what I'm busy trying to do now and envisioning this like envisioning wellness the way that I I want it to be you know the way that I needed it to be when I was going through my own health struggles or when I was trying to figure out my own spirituality Um, and all the ways that I needed it to be when I was harmed in the industry by other white people, right? So, um, like, just bringing that to the community, and that's how I keep trying to show up every single day. I love that, and it just makes me smile because I'm one of the people of which you just really helped open and just create new dimensions in my life. So I just can't imagine how many other people around the world that you're providing this for. And I'm just thankful that you really released all of that during that Lantern Festival and allowed yourself to really just like manifest that into your vision. I know a lot of people, um, it's, that's a scary thing to do, but the fact that you are persistent through it and like you said, like just going with the vibe. And now I also wanted to highlight um, your quest program and also you mentioned kind of the five-week breathwork course healing from racial trauma I like how your your tagline has been the is- the issues are in our tissues mm-hmm. and I really do want to um, yeah just give you the chance to expand on that because I think a lot of our listeners would just be interested as to like how do these holistic practices actually relate to unearthing racial trauma especially um, with the political landscape right now. So, um, 
one thing I love about, you know, I will say the, the five week breath work course, I know that you're going to start it on Tuesday, which I'm excited about. Um, that's probably the hardest course I've ever had to do. Like the, the hardest content that I've ever put out, um, the heaviest content. Um, and I remember being so nervous about like, you know, having that in your head, am I right to do this? Am I like, am I qualified enough? Am I like all of these different things that actually come from a very colonized mindset, like the the ways that we think about our worthiness. Right. Um, So there was a lot of, even leading up to offering this course, there was a lot of me checking my own shit at the end of the day and checking my racial trauma and unpacking that as well. Um, and the course was something that is, is necessary, is really needed. And if like the main thing that I want people to take away is that we all, no matter what color we are, no matter what race, no matter what origin, whatever, we all suffer from racial trauma. So we all suffer from white body supremacy. We all suffer from racial trauma. And um, I don't know if you've read uh, My Grandmother's Hands or I've had a chance to get into that in uh, Resma. He, he said, like, he, the way that he approaches it is so beautiful, right? And the way that he breaks down how we are all suffering from uh, white body supremacy in so many industries and aspects of our lives. Um, it's so, I, I was like really shocked even when I was like reading the book, right? Um, and that has definitely helped me in, in unpacking, in my own unpacking. Um, so there's a, there's a few modules that we go through and one is working out our own identity, right? And in that in that particular module, the first module, and I don't want to give too much away, Bernie, because I know you can go through all that, how some of the things that we identify with, um, where does that come from? Like, is it, is this coming from a more um, colonized mindset that just like the grind mentality, right? Or is it something, is it something that somebody else expects of us and we just cling to these identities or is this really who we are, right? Um, and then ancestral healing and really um, understanding and like the ancestral trauma. So making, even if you can't make peace with it, acknowledging that our ancestors, you know, they did certain things out of survival, right? That we may not have to do, we don't have to do moving forward, right? So when I talked about my situation with my dad saying, you have to work twice as hard to receive half as much, right? Or, you know, EVA, you were saying you're um, a child of immigrants. My mom is an immigrant. And my mom came from, like, gutter, like, <laughs> deep, deep, like, poverty, right? And some of the things that she had to do growing up just so her family could eat is not necessarily what I have to do anymore, right? I don't have to carry that. But the trauma of that we did grow up with, right? So there is this acknowledgement there. And um, so people in that module, even examining what they've had to go through and um, even like we even talked about like the Holocaust and how 
I tied it back to a few research articles and how Holocaust survivors carry um, different traumas within their bodies, the, the children and grandchildren of Holocaust survivors and how they're carrying this within them. So that, and then we dive into shame, we dive into grief and forgiveness. And um, it's been really, really powerful. Um, and it's a space for everybody to unpack their own racial biases. And um, so like the internalized racial biases and um, even giving space to say like, you know what, what's going on in the world right now? This is how this is affecting me. And it's, um, you know, I, I feel sick over this or, you know, I feel helpless because of this, or I didn't realize even as a black person that I've been struggling with this, or I've had, I've held on to um, white body supremacy and thinking that I am beneath the white body that I'm less valued because of the color of my skin, because this is what society has set up for us to believe, unfortunately. And for, you know, for me, there are many people who are dismantling this, right? And within the wellness industry, there are some of us who are like, hey, we're going to dismantle this and we're going to bring this to light so that we can build a new wellness model, right? Um, so that's what Inward is about, right? <laughs> and then Quest, the 12 week program, um, is me coaching other healers so that they can do the same work that I do in the world and then some like they everybody comes with their own um their own abilities their own gifts like you know their own modalities but making this more of a trauma trauma informed space making this more of like let's learn how um how certain structures are very oppressive and how that allows us to unfortunately um, live with trauma, right? And um, like really dismantling that from the inside out and then going like diving deeper into spirituality and intuition. Um, and of course, Bernie getting Reiki one into um, attuned and really learning how to access the Akashic records. And um, yeah, so it's, it's just a, a, a bigger, intensive deep dive there. Um, and my goal is to get more BIPOC healers out into the communities, right? Because it shouldn't be that I'm the only, you know, Black Reiki teacher or Reiki um, practitioner here and somebody has to Google, okay, where can I find her or whatever. There should just be some everywhere, right? There should be people of color who are doing and tapping into their ancestral medicine and all of this ancestral wisdom and offering that to the community. Um, I'm also like very, very huge on people over profits. So how can we make this like, of course I gotta eat at the end of the day, right? But I'm not gonna get over on people who need comfort and healing and if you need to learn how to breathe, come through on a Thursday and like, let's do some breath work together and know that this is, this is medicine that you have within you that you can use all the time. Um, and normalizing all of this ancestral medicine instead of it being demonized by society and demonized the public and all of that. Normalize rest, normalize ancestral medicine, normalize like life, you know? <laughs> so yeah. I know that was very long-winded, but thanks. <laughs> I love that. I just, like, I always plug. I feel like I'm, like, Chanel's biggest fan, always on IG and all that, all that stuff. But I just want to plug, <laughs> plug, like, 
the quest program has just just been so life-changing you know for me to at the freedom community clinics being able to provide reiki for people and also you know give a medical student perspective has been so powerful to integrate both of them like you said um and then i've been doing community breath work with you also and that has just been that's just been some other shit y'all like honestly i have released stuff that I didn't know was stored there. And it's just also taught me how to move energy, recognize what is mine, how to protect myself, how to reinvigorate myself. And that's just like, to know that you yourself can be, you yourself are your own medicine. Um, it's just such a powerful realization I'm still coming coming to, so. Yeah. Um, other questions, girls? Yeah, we're just so grateful to have you, Chanel. Literally, <laughs> such a perfect way, especially for us as healers and doctors in our community, that your perspective and your work in the wellness industry is something that, you know, like we're working towards a future in which we're not siloed anymore. Like you said, like we're all in this together. We each have our own part. And for us, to all of us being dedicated to uplifting our communities, especially. BIPOC communities is, we're out here, you know what I'm saying? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> we, you know what, we are out here more than people realize we're out here. And I'm like, I'm just so juiced to have more people like in all facets of life, like all BIPOC people on all facets of life being like, no, we've been out here. Y'all just need to pass the mic or like, you know, let's go ahead and pan this camera over here. Cause we've been here. We've been here doing this work. Now it's like, you know, it's interesting how, you know, over the summer too, more people are like, Oh, Hey, can we get you on? Not this podcast, but like, can we get you in Like we want you to come over to our platform so we can amplify your melanated voice. Right. Oh, yeah. And I'm like, wait, but if you're really interested in amplifying my voice, why am I coming to your platform so that I can make you look good? Like you're diverse. Right. If it's really important to you to amplify melanated voices and support us right? You view our work, you see what we're doing in the community, but support us, right? Financially, yeah, that would be great. But also like plugging us, like put put us on, like use your privilege to really put us on, right? Um, because like, we're not here to hoard information. We're here to get it all out, right? But we didn't create these structures where, you know, you know how wellness is. Um, <laughs> people think, People think just because it's wellness that it is inclusive and it's not always inclusive, but we're, we're working towards dismantling that and making it inclusive. So yeah, they yes. just got to put us on. We out here, <laughs> we out here. Oh yeah, we just want to plug 33rd and Rising on IG. It's 33rd, the number 33, RD and Rising. Um, and just hella amazing stuff, all things healing, all things BIPOC centered. We are just so, so grateful for you, Chanel. Thank you. Thank you all thank for you. having me. Oh, thank you. This is really beautiful. Thank you.